Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am in the Ward Church Sanctuary this morning with a skeletal crew, and it uh, feels very different on a Sunday, but I am so grateful for the technology that allows us to be together even when we can't be together. Our world is being shaken right now, and that's not entirely a bad thing. Like when you've been asleep and a sound sleep for a long time and someone's kind of got to nudge you to, uh, to help you wake up like, like they did this morning, perhaps. Uh, some have suggested that our world may be receiving a wake-up call at this time. Like we have lived our lives kind of half asleep and dimly aware of the cosmic realities around us, and now we're getting uh, shaken into reality. I think we all need to listen very carefully to what God might be saying to each of us in this season. Because often, when the world shakes, God speaks. When the world shakes, God speaks. And he's got our attention now. The Bible uses this language in the Old Testament when Moses brings the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai. The people gather around the mountain, and the mountain shakes. The, the ground literally uh, trembles. And there's this real holy moment when Moses comes down the mountain where there's smoke and mystery and awe because God is about to speak. And the writer of Hebrews, centuries later, invokes that image uh, when he gives people a warning. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. Let's take a look at it uh, on the screen. The writer says, See to it, that you do not refuse him who speaks. Who, who's that? God. Let's spell that out. God is the one who speaks. If they, they, the people of the Old Testament, the people back in Moses' day, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If those, those people way back then with Moses, if, if they missed this, uh, we could miss this too. Uh, at that time, God's voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, and here he gets to some prophecy here, a little bit obscure in, when we talk about prophecy, but now he has promised once more, God says, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is the crea created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Again, this is, this is a prophetic word about that day when heaven and earth will be made new. There will be this great shaking. That's the prophecy for the future. But what I want you to notice today is this next line. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful that, that our God is an unshakable God? And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, are you worshiping the unshakable God or are you worshiping shakable possessions? Is God your security or is your retirement fund your security? Is God your fellowship or do you rely solely on the fellowship that you've been uh, camped up with in your house this week? 
I think we each need to listen to what God might be saying to us. God may have a message, a different message for each of us. The unshakable God has given us his unshakable kingdom. Let us be thankful. Let us worship God with reverence and awe. And then the, the verse said, God is a consuming fire. And again, that's an Old Testament image when fire would consume the sacrifice. Consuming fire, you know, purifies. Uh, con consuming fire straightens. Uh, think about a shirt that wrinkles. And when you apply an iron to that, the, the, the fire consumes those wrinkles. It straightens it out. Now, you, you don't want to have the shirt on when that's going on. That could be painful. But a lot of us have been praying that through these tough times, God will wrinkle, will take the wrinkles uh, out of our soul. That God will straighten our perspective. Uh, no doubt, we're going to learn a great deal about ourselves, about our world, and about our God. So uh, how are we as a church responding uh, to the needs around us in, in, a, in a time of social distancing? Well, again, most of our groups and ministries continue to meet. Uh, our staff have had to be very creative uh, in finding ways they can meet virtually. So many of our Bible studies and groups still meet, but now they meet on Zoom or on Facebook. Our children's ministry teams are still producing lessons, but they are on video. Teenagers are still gathering, but they're doing it virtually. And then uh, last week, we got real disciplined, very disciplined with our oldest members and our, our deacons uh, led a phone ministry program to our uh, senior saints. In the last four days, this team phoned 700 of our members that are over the age of 70. We're trying to help our senior saints stay connected virtually, even when they have to use technology with which they may be less familiar. Uh, we've asked them uh, if they have a need or their neighbors have a need and offered to pray with them on the phone. And then all those needs are being uh, collated and will be passed on to responders, which is why if you go to our website right now or to our, our uh, app uh, and go to the coronavirus section, you will see two buttons, give help and get help. And if you hit get help, uh, give help you'll see all, all the places you can respond and do things and, and give and serve and if you hit the get help there'll be a list of resources and agencies and also places you can actually make a specific request a lot of work went behind the, the, this uh, website and all the resources that are I encourage you to go there today give help or get help are the two buttons you can look at last week volunteers from our children's ministry department uh, helped serve meals to kids from Livonia Public Schools, families who rely on the free lunch program. They were active doing that. And we've been in contact with Wayne County and have offered our parking lot should they need a testing site. And if a day comes, offered our building uh, should a medical facility be needed down the road. This is a time for the church to be the church. And we've increased our frequency of communication in, uh, to you in this time where things seem to change hourly. Starting tonight, I'm going to host an evening gathering on Facebook at 9 o'clock p.m. called Breathing Room. Every night at 9 o'clock, I or one of the other Ward Church pastors uh, will be in the Breathing Room to read some scripture and to pray. Uh, it's going to be very short, very simple, low production. Uh, in this season, we thought frequency of contact is more important than quality of production. That was a big disclaimer, but I hope that many of you will join me tonight. Uh, so we've created a Facebook group called Breathing Room, 
and you have to join the Facebook group Breathing Room. You got to join the group on Facebook Breathing Room uh, to join us, and I hope to see a lot of you uh, tonight. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then I want to teach this morning about uh, the next line in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus talks about delivering us from the evil one. Before we get there, let's, let's pray. Glorious God, you are the God that cannot be shaken. Meet us in this unsettling time. As the world shakes around us, speak to us. Help us not to miss your voice. Help us not to avoid your refining fire. We worship you in reverence and in awe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me back into this by, by saying this. A, a, lot of, uh, a lot of bugs, insects, uh, don't know this, but bugs have an enemy. And their enemy is bigger and stronger and smarter than they are. And the enemy stays up late at night to divine clever ways to lure and uh, eliminate bugs. And uh, they will design traps that bugs will voluntarily go into. Uh, the bugs will voluntarily participate in their own demise. Why would a bug do that? Well, the enemy uses deception. The enemy uh, creates this trap with the promise of something that's good. A bug looks at them and says, these are desirable to the eye and pleasing for food. I want you to see some of the, some of the traps that, uh, that, that have been designed. All right, here's the classic uh, roach motel. And, uh, and these bugs go in here uh, because they think it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. But this is the last meal they will ever eat. Very clever and devious. Look at the next one. All right, so this flypaper, and I'm told the flypaper emits a pleasant odor. And so a fly lands here, and that fly will never take off again. A devious plan. Look at the next one. <coughs> Anybody know what this is? <coughs> a bug zapper light. Bugs see this light. And for some reason, they're, they're drawn. I, I must go to that light. I must get near that amazing-looking light, and bzzz, and that's it. This one you can see is full of uh, impulsive bugs who thought they were the exception to the rule. They, they, they thought, yes, I see a lot of my peers have been trapped, but I am clever, I am smarter, and that will never happen to me. Bzzz, and they get trapped. There is, a, there is a way that seems right to a bug, but in the end thereof, it leads to death. Now, only, only a bug would be that uh, silly, right? Only a bug would be that non-smart. <clears throat> Let me look at one more. Now, we don't know what the fruit was that tempted the humans in the Garden of Eden. We don't know. Tradition often calls it an apple, but we don't know. What we do know is what the Bible says in Genesis uh, chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, bzz, the, the sound effect I added, but the rest of it is there. Why do we give in to temptation? Why do people voluntarily <coughs> do things that violate their own, uh, their own moral ground? Why do people voluntarily enter into things that they know will be destructive? Well, the Bible says that the answer is, at least in part, because you and I have an enemy. And this enemy is bigger, stronger, and smarter than we are. Paul says in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers, therefore put on the whole armor of God. He says, uh, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. His fundamental identity, the evil one, his fundamental identity, thank you, his fundamental identity is tempter, and his primary weapon is temptation. Thank you very much. And the Bible describes that. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a classic uh, Bible passage about temptation from the Apostle Paul. He's writing about the temptation that people of old, that the people of the Exodus experienced in the wilderness and the temptation they gave into, and he names specifically three of the temptations that they felt and fell to, sins they fell to in the wilderness. He names three of them, idolatry, sexual immorality, and grumbling and complaining. That's the third one. All these had dire consequences. And this is where he picks up 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things happen, these horrible consequences happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then here's the line. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, a way out so that you can endure it three observations about temptation and the first one is this expect it expect temptation no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind so expect it do not be surprised by it don't be disappointed by it the prayer that jesus is teaching us to pray is not uh, god deliver us from the experience of being tempted nobody gets a pass on that jesus was tempted what Jesus is teaching us to pray is deliver us from giving into temptation. Everybody's going to experience temptation, so our ability to resist it is extraordinarily important. There's a celebrated experiment in psychology. It was originally done decades ago, but it has been repeated in all kinds of forms throughout the years. Uh, and it's about, it has to do with temptation, or the, in the words of the psychologist, delayed gratification. And they bring a child in, and they put the child in a tempting situation with a sweet snack of some kind. And I want you to get a glimpse of what this experiment looks like. So uh, let, me, let me show you a little video and give you a little break from your YouTube viewing. Let's, let's, let's watch this example. Okay, so that's your... All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you t another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really good.
How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. The kids are smelling it and feeling it, and we've all been there in one form or another. And the researchers in some of their longitudinal studies show that the, the four-year-olds who were able to delay gratification at that age, who were able to resist temptation at that age, that those kids grew up to be more socially competent, more decisive, have a better level of self-esteem, less anger management issues, uh, lower rate of delinquency, and a lower divorce rate than the kids who just grabbed the marshmallow right away. So uh, the question for the day is, what is your marshmallow? What's that area of temptation? Maybe it's a box of Krispy Kremes. Maybe it's the letters S-A-L-E. Maybe it's an adult site on the internet. Maybe it's the temptation to cast judgment on other marshmallow eaters. What is your vulnerable temptation? And maybe in this season, what we're tempted most by is to forget the words we just learned in the Lord's Prayer. To, to not believe that God is our Father who cares about us. To believe that we have to hallow our own name. Uh, to believe that uh, you're tempted to put your own kingdom ahead of God's kingdom. You're tempted maybe to hoard daily bread. That word uh, translated temptation is the same word also translated testing. Now those are different English words uh, with slightly different meanings, but it's the same uh, Greek word. And so translators have, have had to decide which word matches best for that. And scholars, you know, usually think of the, the paradigm example of temptation is that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. And the paradigm example of testing is when God tested Abraham by saying, would you sacrifice your son? And, uh, but it's the same, same Greek word. And the idea behind this word is allowing oneself to be torn away from God. Both temptation and testing are dangerous because we can allow ourselves to be torn away from God. Which is why in the Bible, temptation is never trivial. You know, our day we use that word kind of casually and even humorously to talk about some kind of really tantalizing dessert. But in the Bible, uh, temptation, what's at risk is your soul. And again, Paul uses three examples of very specific temptations that they gave into. Idolatry, uh, sexual immorality, and then the third one, grumbling and complaining. And we think, well, that, that one doesn't sound like a, a very bad sin. Is, is, is grumbling and complaining a sin? I, I hope not, because I've been cooped up with my kids for a whole week. And if grumbling's a sin, if it is a sin, at least it's better than what my other temptation, which is, you know, I have to remind myself, thou shalt not kill. You know, so, so why is grumbling so bad? Well, remember, the purpose of the evil one is to separate you from God. And whatever tactic's going to work the easiest, that is what he will do. And in many ways, grumbling is just as effective as idolatry or adultery. In fact, it may be more effective because it is so subtle. The goal is to separate you from God. And the evil one doesn't just tempt you to do what's wrong. He tempts you to not do what's right. So to separate you from God, it might be doing things that are wrong. It's also getting you to not do certain things. Essentially, the single power of the evil one 
is to tempt you. He desperately wants to separate you from God and he will stop at nothing. Expect it. There's no temptation that's coming your way that is not common to humankind. It's not something uh, new or exclusive to you. The second uh, teaching in this passage is that God knows just how much you can bear. Right? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, this statement has often been used by Christians to talk about suffering. And someone will say to someone who's suffering, well, hey, God, God will not let you suffer beyond what you can bear. But that is not what the Bible says. People do suffer, and they do suffer to the point of death all around the world. Uh, this passage is about temptation. Uh, you will not be tempted God knows how much temptation you can handle. On the one hand, this is very encouraging that, that God seems to restrain temptation from me because God knows how much temptation I can handle. That, that's very encouraging. On the other hand, it, it's kind of sobering because you and I can never rationalize sin by saying that temptation was too much for us. It, it, was, it was more temptation than we could bear. That excuse is not open to us. God does not leave that open to us he does not intend to James 4 7 says submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you sometimes we think we've got to flee from the devil but the Bible says that he will flee you if you resist and so I picture this you kind of you kind of got to resist and lean in and the devil flies against you and he, you don't move and he flies against you again you don't move and he flies against and eventually uh, the devil wears out and he will leave you you resist, he flees, right? And then, and then number three, promise of this passage, God will provide a way out. This is really good news. The text says, when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And the next few minutes, I just want to talk about three actions you can take to help find a way out, out of temptation. And the first action is this, arrange your life for joy. Arrange your life for joy. In Nehemiah 8.10, we find a classic statement. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Right? Joy is strength. And I think one of the greatest weapons we have against temptation is authentic, God-honoring joy. And then the converse is also true. Joylessness makes us vulnerable to temptation. So think of ways you can increase the joy factor in your life. Maybe it's being out in nature. Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it's practicing the spiritual discipline of gratefulness. Maybe it's asking God to make you a more joyful person. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We need more joy. Secondly, develop relationships of accountability. Temptation always involves hiddenness and darkness. You, you cannot resist temptation all on your own. Uh, it's really helpful if you have people holding you up and holding you accountable. Uh, when, when you're tempted severely, you need somebody you can call. You know, in 12-step programs, everybody has a sponsor. And your sponsor is that person who says, you can call me anytime, day or night, when you're being tempted. You, you call me and I'll, I'll stand right next to you and support you. And we all need somebody like that in our lives. We can call and say, look, I really want a marshmallow right now. And your sponsor, your friend says, look, you don't need a marshmallow. You can get through this. I'll come over if I need to. I will be there with and for you. 
right? Relationships are key in resisting temptation. And then thirdly and lastly, immerse your heart and mind in Scripture. Look at the master of temptation management. Jesus was tempted. We see an example, tempted three times by the evil one in the wilderness. Uh, the first temptation, the evil one says, turn these stones into bread. You shouldn't have to be hungry. Second temptation, jump down from this temple. Uh, uh, you don't have to suffer. You can do something spectacular that everybody will see. Third temptation, bow down and worship me, and I will give you all these kingdoms. You, you, your, your mission could be over and successful today. And each time the evil one tempts Jesus, Jesus responds by saying, it is written. It is written. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, don't test the Lord your God. It is written, worship the Lord your God only. Serve him alone. Jesus' mind was so washed in the word that he was able to see right through the deception of the evil one. So first, define your temptation, your marshmallow, and then immerse yourself in relevant scriptures. Uh, for example, if one of your key temptations right now is fear, then you read verses like Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If your temptation right now is complaining and grumbling, then, uh, then if that's your temptation, then you read verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is your current temptation? And then do what Jesus did and resist it with Scripture. Temptation is very real for every one of us. It's possible that in this last week, your temptations shifted. Maybe temptations you've had lessened and new temptations emerged and the evil one wants nothing more than to separate you from God and from God's intended life for you. And he will stop at nothing. We have an enemy and the enemy is strong, but there is one who is stronger still. And we know that he has won the battle. Whatever you face, you do not face it alone. God is with you and for you, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want to lead us in, in a prayer, and I want to thank you so much for coming today uh, in this unique time and, and place. And again, if, you've, if this worship has been helpful to you, you might want to recommend it to some friends. We'll be every Sunday at our regular times, 9.30 and 11, and then rebroadcast at 2, 4, and 6. And we'll be meeting with you throughout the week. Uh, may the Lord bless you where you are uh, in all ways. Let's pray together. And at the end of this prayer, if you would join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Well, God, in these strange times, be for us once more our deliverer. Help us to resist the evil one. Help us to be wise and strong. Thank you for the promise of the Bible that there is nothing and no one more powerful than you. And we pray together now the prayer taught us by your Son 
saying together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See you soon.